Thank you for listening to the Highlander Podcast, where we have conversations about the past, present, and future of the outdoor industry. Thanks to Utah State University's Outdoor Product Design and Development Program for making it possible and for training the future product leaders of the outdoor industry. Learn more about the program at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode, Sarah Al-Hussein, a product developer at Sunuk, talks with first-year product students at USU about their role as part of the product triad and the specific tasks of a developer in bringing footwear to market. Good morning, everybody. It's nice to be able to talk to you about product development. From what I hear, you guys have heard from PLMs and designers, but nobody from development yet. So a little background on me. I work for the brand Sanook, which is under Deckers um, with Teva, Hoka, and Ugg. Um, I've been in development for about three years, and before that, I had a footwear background, uh, but mostly in retail. Um, So I have a few slides for you. I really just wanted to go over kind of the footwear life cycle and what milestones there are, since you've probably heard about them from the other parts of the triad or product team. Uh, kind of where PD plays a role in that. So let me share some slides. Okay, so product team overview, and then I'm a product developer. And then this is an overview of what the product timeline is. So we start off with the briefing stage, move into the tech pack proto stage, go into our line reviews, which there are two line reviews. We have an initial line review and then a final line review. Both of those line reviews, we get samples, um, our master confirmation samples, and then going into production. So first is a briefing stage. On the left-hand side, you'll see um, one of our briefs. We do pretty simple briefs compared to some brands um, just to get like the main parts out. So it will tell you um, whether it's men's, women's, kids, what the retail is or what they envision the retail price to be, uh, target margin, target FOB, which is freight on board. So that's the whole cost of the shoe, um, not including shipping to the U.S. Um, SKUs, how many colorways there's going to be, 
forecast, uh, how many they project to buy, uh, project type. So we have multiple different project types at Deckers. Not all brands classify things as project types, but for our brand, our project types correspond to our minimum order quantity. So if you have a brand new shoe, brand new bottom, then um, we're required to purchase more shoes. So that's what we kind of use our project types for. Some brands call them uh, project complexity, and then they assign a number to it with one, two, three, and four. We use a lettering system, which is a carryover style. So a style that's already been in season. Uh, color up. So that's a carryover style that just has new colors. Material up. So it's an ex- uh, an existing style but just has new materials and then we go into our end projects or new projects and that's anything with a new upper pattern um new bottom molds um new last stuff like that um it does give us the tooling and last which they want to use so tooling includes both all of the bottom molds and the last and i'm not too sure if you're familiar with the last but the last is what determines the fit of the shoe um it's this big blue foot looking thing and it includes the space your foot and the space needed around your foot to be comfortable so on the brief they'll let you know if they want to use an existing tooling or new tooling and new last or existing last. They'll give you the size run, classification, whether it's boot, slipper, shoe, sandal, <clears throat> and then the intro date so that you know when um, to expect to have to have this project ready. And then just any sort of features that they want in the shoe, what, whatever that ends up being, and then some um, um pictures for reference for design when designing the shoes. So the role of the PD during the briefing stage is understanding the target margin and FOB in order to run a costing exercise. So what we do with this is we take that target margin and target FOB that the um, PLMs have given us. And with this, we have a tool that helps us break it down to see how much we can invest in each part of the shoe, whether it be the upper or the molds or the tooling or whatever it may be. For this specific project, the tooling was already existing. So we really used this target margin, target FOB to determine how much money we had to use for the upper. And then we also use a brief to determine whether this project will require new molds, new last and tooling, which that helps us with our costing. And at the end of that, we take all of those um, parts to really work with design to help find materials that they like, but also works to hit those target margins and target FOB. So um, after that, really in the, the brief stage, 
PD doesn't have too much of a role other than supporting design. We really start at the tech pack proto stage. So this is where we start to receive all the product details from design and we're able to start making those protos. So the tech pack really gives you an overview of how the upper is constructed in this case because there was not a new bottom Um, and just any key features they want to make sure are included. So if you can see on this cross section, our design team even went as far to make sure that they knew that they didn't want any cementing in the lining. So it's what we call loose lining. The inspiration behind this shoe was to kind of make it look like a um, sleeping bag. (laughs) So we really wanted it loose and fluffy. So we wanted to make sure that he mentioned that in the tech pack as well. And then we there and then put it in the bombs. Um, and any other sort of like materials specific instructions. So the role of the PD during the tech pack stage is to create the pullover bombs or the pullover bill of materials. This is basically the recipe for the shoe. So the factory should be able to make the shoe just from the bomb. It has all the materials, the colors. We also include any sort of specifications from the tech pack. So where our designer said loose line, no cement, we'd make sure to note that in the bomb as well. So that, again, ideally the factory would be able to take that bomb and just make the shoes from there. And then we pass that tech pack and pullover bomb to our China team and we start working on the protos or they start making the protos. Uh, Pre-COVID at this time, we would normally travel to China and that's where we would get to really work on the protos in real time and be able to see a lot of rounds of those protos. We also review and approve blueprints based on the tech pack. So if there's any new toolings or new bottom molds, uh, the China team works on creating the blueprints, which is exactly what you think of a blueprint um, from architecture (laughs) based on the, the dimensions in the tech pack. And then we would also start any development on new compounds when it comes to uh, bottom molds. Uh, We are constantly trying to improve our uh, bottom compounds to be more sustainable, to be more comfortable. um, And technology is always changing. So I feel like every season (laughs) we're updating some of our compounds. So this ends up being a never-ending cycle, (laughs) but it's probably the most, or to me, the most fun part of the the development cycle. And then we review pullovers with the team and pass the corrections to China development. So once we receive the pullovers, they look pretty rough. Uh, They're all the wrong colors and there's always some sort of correction. But we don't worry about the colors because they don't have the correct materials yet. And so we just work with design and the rest of the team 
to review those, decide where we need to increase measurements. Maybe the vamp is too shallow and it looks, you know, kind of like a duck foot. (laughs) So we would want to work with them in that case to actually increase the volume in the last, because that's what's determining that space inside the shoe. Or maybe it's just that this collar is a little too low or a little too tight. And then we work with them on pattern corrections. So then I just added some screenshots of what our tech packs look like. So first we look, normally the first few pages of the tech pack has the upper dimensions. So this is where you can kind of figure out like how how high your collar is for this one. It's a, like I said, a sleeping bag type shoe. So what the width of the puffs are, um, the back height, but honestly back height is standard. So we don't need that measurement um, for fitting. And then what the width of the heel pull is. And then from there, we normally have some sort of cross section. So in this case, it's a cross-section of the upper plus the outsole, but no dimensions in the outsole since that was already existing. Uh, Just to give us some more in-depth understanding of how they want this shoe to be constructed. And normally when you think of this, this is quite a bit of development type work for design. But they do this so that we understand how they envision the shoe looking. But from here, it really takes us coming in to understand how can we make that vision work in production? Because sometimes they think that something, you can do something because you and I might be able to make it if we had a factory. But on a large scale of production, it doesn't work due to um, machinery uh, constraints at the specific factory, or um, sometimes they just don't have the capacity. So we need to make sure that they aren't doing a lot of manual labor. Otherwise, that increases the FOB. So from there, we go into our two line reviews. So initial line review, final line review. For our brand, it's a little different because we actually only have one line review because we're on a shorter timeline, which is normally only the the case for like fast fashion type brands. So H&M, stuff like that. Uh, The uh, benefit to being on a quicker timeline is that you can get things out to market quicker So for us, we develop shoes and then they can hit the market within a year where normally it's about two years. So we cut that timeline in half. So the role of the PD within that line review is again, pretty heavy. We receive those CADs from design and create the initial line review and final line review bill of materials. So those bombs. We work with the China team on any development issues. So get basically getting it ready to be able to be commercialized in production. So we need to make any adjustments to the design. 
maybe there's issues with the material, it's, you know, falling apart, it's not thick enough in order to make the upper look good. Or in some of our shoes, our sandals, sometimes it's just not stretchy enough to be able to be comfortable for a sandal. And then we receive and review those line review samples with the brand and key investors. So we have these large meetings with both our internal team, marketing, and also our sales reps. So it's a rather large meeting <laughs> and we get to show them the new samples. And um, that's really the first time the initial line review is when they get to see them kind of come to life. And on PD, we kind of call it Christmas because it's also the first time we get to see the samples. So it's really fun. And uh, um, yeah. <laughs> from there, based on the feedback from the brand and the sales reps, uh, design will then update the CADs based on that feedback and send it to PD. And then from there, PD will update the bombs and we will also review the samples on our own without the rest of the brand to see if we notice anything from the development side. We're the ones that do the color checking. So check it against Pantone, make sure that it's um, matching. And then also if there's any weird development issues, such as in this one, what ended up happening is that the sock liner was cut too short. And um, the entry here was a little too narrow, so it was hard to fit. And then this is what the cabs look like. So this is kind of a condensed version of the tech pack. So it doesn't have those measurements in here, but this is where they really note the Pantones, and then this is where they put their materials that they want the shoe to be made out of, or they may note that they need a little help from the factory, which happens sometimes. They put any logos in here, so the footbed logo, and then the outsole. And then after all of that reviewing, we finally moved into master confirmation samples. So master confirmation samples is what both our USDC and the China factory use for um, guidelines for production. This is also the first time that samples are made in the factory. Before this, they're actually made at the factory sample rooms, which oftentimes are not in the factory. So for us, our uh, sample rooms are in China, but our factory is in Vietnam. So the, the sample rooms always uh, employ the most experienced workers in the factory. So when you're getting those initial line review samples, they actually look the best. They're going to look better than what you see in production just because they're really taking their time. They're the top of the top workers, and um, they really have the time to be able to make sure those shoes are right. So master confirmation samples is really what our first look at is when it comes to um, production samples.
So once we re uh, receive those samples, we review them and then give the uh, feedback to our China team before the first buy. So we call that RTB deadline, the first RTB deadline. And so we need to make sure that we look at those shoes, give the uh, China team any comments so that they can what we call RTB or ready to buy those shoes. Um, at what happens after the ready to buy deadline is that they start to move into production. So that's when they order the bulk um, uh, materials because they understand how many pairs we're going to buy. They um, start really finalizing development. They start to do any restricted substance testing at that time. Um, all of the kind of final stuff to make sure that we're good to go. On our side, we need to confirm fitting before that RTB deadline, which is in master confirmation sample time. Normally, um, that's about the same time we're confirming the final fit. For new bottoms and lasts, you uh, we also need to wear test those styles before we reach that RTB deadline and give our China team that feedback. Wear testing is really important to new bottoms and lasts is because you will find out a lot about a shoe once you start wear testing it. I remember one time we had this sandal and once people started wear testing it, the shrinkage was really terrible. So it started kind of curling up in the sun and China team called it our banana shoe. <laughs> but it's, it's, you really want to make sure you wear test it to iron out any of those issues that you could potentially see in production. And then once you're all done with those master confirmation samples, you would keep a half pair. So we keep a half pair at our office in Goleta. And then the other half pair goes to our U.S. distribution center. And that's, again, so that they can check them against what they get in for production. Because they will let us know if they don't match. They do about a 10% um, quality check. And so if they find any issues, they'll, they'll let us know. So this is what a fit report looks like. It's pretty simple for us. Um, this shoe that's in the photo is actually a material up. So it's not a new last, it's not a new bottom. So it was a pretty, pretty easy fit. And what they will do is in this box, China kind of gives their, their feedback. Um, with this one, it was pretty easy. The sample fits last and fits on the foot good. It's true size of length and width, and it fits the same as the reference sample. And then down here, we get our feedback from our fitters. And so again, this one was pretty easy because it is a, the same shoe, just different materials. Um, one fit tester with a high arch just complained that the instep was a little tight, but overall pass. If the shoe fails, what we do is we normally have to make some sort of adjustment to the pattern and last. Um, it's, it's normally fairly simple. We normally just either have to add some sort of volume to the last or 
make the pattern a little bit looser. Um, so it's not, it's not too bad, especially for our shoes where a lot of these aren't brand new, um, last. We try and keep the same last, even if we update the bottoms. And then we reach production. So this is actually the shoe from that tech pack, but in the low version. So the role of PD going into production, because at Decker's, PDs don't really actually have much control once you go into commercialization or production, we kind of leave our responsibilities behind at that point. And it's on the China team's responsibilities. But there are a few things that come up. At this point, China team will start sending us production material testing. So if there's any issues with material testing, they'll send it to us. And we will either have to approve to override those tests or we have to change a compound, which results in delays. The reason why I have material testing back here too is because we do material testing at the beginning of the season. You always want to make sure you, you check material testing for compounds and any sort of special upper materials but they retest it in production because when you think about it for sampling, they're creating like 10 yard orders. They're pretty small, but for production, those orders are much larger. So you will sometimes get some um, issues with those materials once you're buying larger quantities. We also look at the returns report to see if there's any anomaly anomalies to see if there's any sort of shoes that are being returned more than normal. So we've had that happen a few times where then if we notice that we order them from production, we refit them and we figure out the issue as to why they aren't fitting properly. Um, you know, the factory makes mistakes sometimes it's fine. You just got to figure it out instead of keeping it in the market. And then also a big one is that we facilitate any factory transfers due to capacity con constraints. And this is also a pretty big issue right now during COVID, but we basically help our China PD team transfer all of our bombs to the new factory. So we have to reassign those bombs. And then if it moves to a new factory, we also have to send them the old MCS because the MCS has to be remade by the new factory. And this is because that new factory may have different machinery or sometimes they just have different practices in place and you can get a shoe and all of a sudden it looks just a little bit different. This happened to us recently where we switched factories for all of our men's shoes and all the all of a sudden our men's shoes were all very stiff. So just minor stuff, but you still have to get those new samples for that reason. 
and then communicate any production issues that come up, including delays to the brand in the U.S. So that's a big one right now, again, with COVID and transport is if there's any major issues with meeting our intro dates, we have to communicate those out and figure out a new plan. So recently, we ended up having to add 30 days to our lead time. So that's the time it takes to ship from China to us. And so we had to go back and basically tell the brand, look, everything in the next six months is going to be 30 days late, but we're going to try and figure it out. And so we were able to figure out pretty much everything except for the ones that were being bought right then because we couldn't really move up the purchase date. And so they had to just accept that it would be a little bit later. And then I have some material testing just so you can kind of see what it looks like. Um, so we have a standard of what we test at Deckers. So what you see on the left is all the different things that we test. Main ones that we look at are durometer, which is the softness of the shoe. Um, we look at rebound, which is how quickly it rebounds. So if you press down on the footbed and it comes back up with your thumb right away, then that would be called a high rebound. And then if it was slow, kind of like memory foam, that would be a low rebound. Compression set. So that kind of checks on how quickly, for example, an insole, if you were stepping on it, it would become flat, no longer comfortable. Shrinkage test. So if those bottom compounds specifically shrink in the sun or just on their own. Uh, ultraviolet light discoloration is how we test for yellowing. So if you have a lighter compound, then um, you can see if that will turn yellow. Oh, heat aging is just how does the shoe do in heat? Tear strength is how quickly you can tear those compounds. Um, a few different types of tear strength. And then peel strength test is how easily you can kind of peel the midsole from the outsole. So those are all standard things we test for. And Deckers has its own standards here in the middle. And then the results are on the right hand side. And they do test it more than once because you want to make sure that it's not just, you know, one off test result. And then we decide whether or not we want to accept those results if they're fairly close or if we need to work on the compound or whatever. But that's all I have for you all. Um, I feel like it was a lot in such a short time. So do you have any questions for me? We have some questions. The microphone might not pick them up. So let us know if you don't hear it and I can rephrase it for you. Questions right off the bat, thinking about them. So my question I always like to ask, uh, as they're here in school, some of them will decide they want to kind of go development route. Uh, what are some of the either skill sets, software packages, some of those things that they should really focus on learning or paying attention to in their classes if they want to become a product developer? 
I would say definitely get really familiar with Excel. If you can be good with Excel, you will do fantastic. Um, it's the best tool for so many different types of things. A lot of what we do, like with the bombs and stuff like that, is working in Excel. Um, we do a lot of um, different sorts of, um, I guess, trialing. And so then we end up with tons of Excel spreadsheets of different compounds and what those compounds results are. And if you can really get familiar with Excel, it will make your life a whole lot easier because you can do all of those things a lot quicker. Um, other than that, actually, I would say it's not really a technical um, a technical skill, but just being able to Hmm. Like, I would think like sociology, I guess, is a good one. And the reason would be because a lot of PD is kind of working with those cross-functional brands and being able to understand their needs versus our needs versus China team needs and really understanding what's the best route to go overall for everybody. So I feel like it takes a lot of understanding of different people and different people's work types and understanding of where their mindset is. So it's an interesting role because it is very technical, but also a lot of what we do is kind of mediation, I guess. So yeah, sociology, psychology, and then also being understanding to the China team and what the China team's priorities and worth, work ethic is like. Um, because they will sometimes make it seem like something is in a really bad spot or not working or an emergency, but really it's just because they're just trying to get so much done at once that they just want to get it off their plate. So just asking them the small questions to really get them thinking outside the box. But I would say those are the main ones. Other questions? So prior to COVID, how much did you travel as part of being a product developer? Uh, twice a year to China. And then um, sometimes throughout the States for like material expos, but our biggest trips were to China and then we would be there for 10 days at a time. Oh, 10, yeah, 10 full days at a time. So it was fun. I really miss it. <laughs> Are they said it's good to travel again soon? I hope so. I was talking to my um, superior recently about that, and it looks like it might be a little bit longer. We normally fly into Hong Kong and then go into Guangzhou, which is a little bit further south. And right now, if you fly into Hong Kong, you have to quarantine for 21 days. So I think it's basically once that's over, we could probably at least I could go back in like a smaller group rather than the whole team, but they're pretty open to it. If we are comfortable with it.
And also, I guess how that's changed my job is I end up having a lot of teams meetings at night (laughs) with our China team so that I can kind of walk through things with them. And it's nice to see them too. I really like our China team. And as far as uh, when you guys go to cut a tool for outsole, midsole, uh, who does all the design? Is China the one that takes your tech pack and and models the sole to make the the tool, or do you have a modeler that does that? Yeah, our China team does that. We have at our company we have a mold team in China, so their main job is really just working on um, the tech packs and turning them into the blueprints. I know we have worked with some. <laughs> We've worked with a company before, like a supplier company before, and our mold mold team didn't want to work with them because they were a little difficult. And so they made the supplier go through a third party and make the the blueprint. But normally we make it in-house. All right. And just for my personal knowledge, when you guys hire or y'all hire uh, PLMs, designers, developers, which one is the hardest to find or which one do you get the most applications for? How does that kind of look from a hiring perspective? Yeah. Or things like that. I would say we probably get the most applications for PLMs. I think that people see that a lot to be like a desirable job because you end up being kind of the face of the brand to a certain extent, because you do all the speakings, speaking in meetings. And that's definitely more of your extrovert role, if you enjoy that. And then I would say it's hard because I would say the least amount of applications are probably in design, just because it depends on like how much background you have, if you have a technical footwear background. And so I think it really gets into the hiring pool is a lot smaller than other, other roles. And then for PD, it actually ends up being that we don't have a high turnover. A lot of, I mean, PD has burnout. A lot of people will talk about PD burnout, but really people don't leave because I think they really enjoy PD once they're normally, if you go into PD, you enjoy PD. So we don't have a lot of turnover. So I would say don't get a lot of applicants just because um, nobody's leaving. But if somebody is, it it's pretty good. Like normally there's somebody, but it's a lot of, brand hopping so people come from different brands and then hop into a new pd role and so it's a lot of pds becoming pds gotcha. yeah. and then as far as the tech pack goes uh does your designer put more of the tech pack together do they really just make tech flats and then you have to detail out the, the tech pack where's where's kind of the the handoff on a tech pack between the designer and the developer So at our company, it's solely design responsibility. At other companies, PDs can have a hand in design. But for us, what we do is I'll help design 
find articles that work well. We kind of work together in a sense that he'll talk to me and say like, hey, what do you think of this? Do you think this works? And we'll discuss it. And then he'll put it in his tech pack. But the actual creation of the tech pack is solely up to him. And if he asks for my help, then I, I support him. All right. Yeah. And then I would say proto reviews and proto corrections. That is mostly on myself in PD, unless there's some technical pattern um, changes, and then he'll help me with those. If it's more like his uh, preference aesthetically. Good. So with our design students, you have your classic portfolio when you go out looking for jobs that you're showing off. For someone wanting to go into product development, what should they really be focusing on? Do they need to really have a portfolio go on as far as um, your company would be concerned? Or is it more of the resume? Is it more like what, what can they do to really make themselves stand out? What documents do you guys really review? Um, and from a social media standpoint, what could someone interested in development show in a professional social media account to stand out? I would say that the biggest thing is um, your resume. You don't need a portfolio in PD, but they will look at what projects you've worked on if you have worked on projects. So in your resume, like in your cover letter, you can talk a lot about um, what are some really successful projects you've worked on, um, how well have they done, um, how many pairs were sold because in our role, a lot of like our success is determined on a, what the FOB is. So how, how, how low of an FOB you can get with still a high quality shoe. And then two would be how many pairs were sold because if the shoe is really good, then people want to buy into it. And not just from a design perspective, uh, but also from just quality perspective. So I would say that putting those into your resume, if you've worked on any or putting it into your social media professional profile would be good. Also, any sort of trainings you can get. So for all of you just having gone to university for this is great because this is fairly new in my understanding. Um, a lot of PDs do not have um, like a specific product creation background at a university. Like for me, it's bio and chem. So we tend to get a lot of non-specific majors. So the fact that you've been able to go to school specifically for this, I think is also an added plus. And then on top of that, any sort of training classes that you can do outside of school. So for us, we all go to Satra, which is a really good um, resource for technical shoe development. Um, they're kind of the end-all be-all of technical shoe development. Uh, but there's some outside of that that really help you. The other one that I would say is kind of going back into that like sociology type mediator. Um, even if you can just do like an American Business Association 
sort of training on leadership is really helpful because you have to be able to really lead the group. Because although we have three specific roles, PD ends up leading the team to the deadline because it's kind of our job to make sure that the team stays on task, that we're completing milestones, and that we're being able to finish the product on time. So I do think we end up being kind of the, the in the background leaders of the group. Um, outside of that... I would say that when you go into interview, being able to talk about how you've been able to problem solve is a really big one. They're always going to ask you like, you know, what is the biggest conflict you've been a part of and how were you able to solve it? Because PD is a lot of keeping cool under pressure. And if it feels like everything is failing, still being able to keep cool and kind of figure it out. So I would say talk a lot about your problem solving skills and then um, people skills are kind of secondary, but I would say that that's really what it is, is it's more of being able to be a problem solver and keep cool and be very relaxed. (laughs) All right. Sounds good. Yeah, one probably time for this last question right here. Okay, so you're talking about like problem solving, and I was just impressed with the shoe that you helped develop, like with inspiration of a sleeping bag. What was probably the hardest like inspiration or problem that you attempted to solve as a developer? Ooh, okay. Um, so that I feel like there's been a lot. Um, <laughs> That one was actually really tricky because to have it be so loose and then to have it fit correctly would was very difficult because it didn't really hold any shape. And so for it to hit its key fit points was really tricky. But I would actually say recently our brain went through a change. So we're now under the end innovations umbrella. And so we are on that quicker timeline. And so we're constantly working on brand new shoes. And so right now I am working on a shoe that's fully um, natural materials. And so we can't use any cement. We can't use any plastics you can't use any sort of um, really traditional sh- like ways to hold a shoe together. And so that's been really fun because we really get to just kind of test and learn with that, but we also don't have much time. So we're doing everything to like using cornstarch, trying to, to hold the shoe together until we can stitch it together. So I know it's kind of a work in process, so it's not, not a very good like end of the road um, uh, example, but I would say that that's probably my favorite one so far is what I'm currently working on. So like we have to hold the upper together in order to be able to stitch it. So that's what we're using the cornstarch for. And then um, we're having a stitch on outsole which is proven to be very tricky when you can't glue it down so tbd but hopefully that will come out next year (laughs) 
Sounds good. Well, let's give uh, Sarah a hand. We appreciate you taking time out of your day. Yeah, anytime. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, watch episodes on the Outdoor Product Design and Development YouTube channel, or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product and let us know how you're enjoying the show.